Are you the quantum mechanics? Yes, we are the quantum mechanics, the paranormal podcast for the believers, the doubters, and everybody in between. And uh, what's how many kelpies? It's about eight kelpies. Yeah, today. it's pretty kelpie. I was thinking it's good weather for covert um, chemtrailing. Oh, that's a very good shout. Yes, <laughs> covert chemtrailing. You know, it's that fine kind of heavy rain, but. Um, you know, you're not going to look up at the skies because they're so grey. So I, I think if you're going to do some covert chemtrailing, today's the day. That is a good top tip. And if you've got a USO, yep. you could probably you could probably take it out for a bit of a sky drive. Yeah, nobody's going to notice. Nobody's going to notice, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. There you go. Paranormal weather update for you. <laughs> <laughs> Although with the amount of rain we're having, we are going to run out pretty quickly, aren't we, of unique ones. We're going to have to go back to the Kelpie scale. Yeah, yeah, the um, Michael Fish. is like the Michael Fish scale. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, what else we're going to say at the beginning? Thank you to Mark Bergham for joining us as a patron. Very much appreciated. Yeah, that's really great. Thank you very much for that, Mark. Welcome on board. He went to patreon.com forward slash pod. I like the way you subtly weaved that in there. <laughs> <laughs> I am like, you know, when um, we started listening to Chris Evans on The Breakfast Show, everybody did. Yeah. And then uh, we realised quite quickly that he was also selling Rice Krispies and he was quite good at selling Rice Krispies. I'm feeling like I've developed that thing where I'm able to talk about Kelpie weather and also slightly sell the Patreon. Yeah. I'm, le- I'm learning. You're learning. You're doing very well. Yeah, and on, the, on those sales messages, so obviously... If you join the Patreon program, you will we'll give you a name check on the podcast just because that's fantastic that you've done it. Um, we also post some little snippets of what we're working on. And, uh, of course, as soon as we've finished recording this podcast and edited it, it will be available on Patreon earlier than the official release. So that's what we're up to so far, and I'm sure we'll be adding more as we go along. So if you want to join us, Patreon dot com forward slash tqm pod marvelous thank you very much thank you so today ben so i've been thinking outside of the ufo whistleblowers that have been going on um there have been two other stories that have been running over the last couple of months that have really caught my attention one of those is about paranormal panic on planes and the other about the dangers of artificial intelligence AI anxiety, I'm calling it. Oh, that's a good word for it. Yeah. Um, now, the panic on planes. Yes. You mean the woman screaming, that guy isn't real? That one, and there's another couple of other ones that happened last month as well, which I'm briefly going to go into. Oh. Uh, because I wondered if these two kind of panics could be linked the paranormal panic on planes and the artificial intelligence anxiety. And that I'll, and I'll come on theory. to that. I'll come okay. on to that. But let's start with this paranormal panic on planes. So the internet wave has been fueled by three recent incidents on commercial airlines. The first incident that sparked online attention is the one that you've just mentioned, Ben. It involved a woman on an American Airlines flight departing from Dallas Fort Worth on July the first this year. Uh, the woman became emotionally disturbed and began claiming that there was a person on the plane who was not a real human being. Now, this woman became agitated and left the plane before takeoff, claiming that everyone might die. Mm. I've seen the video. It's actually quite disturbing. It is quite disturbing. And and actually, on all these, uh, I did consider 
putting clips of these in, but I just feel uh, I'll get on to why not. I, I, you know, one because everybody's seen them, and secondly. Uh, there's something about them I, I find a little bit uncomfortable watching. A bit like, you know, those some of those Karen clips, you're thinking, mm-hmm. no, these are people who are, have got mental health issues and I'm just watching them and that seems wrong. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't think we should be uh, exploiting mental health issues. No. Yeah, and I'm not saying all these people have, but it does come to mind. Yeah. Um, so uh, there was speculation online as to whether this not real person, as she described it, uh, was a ghost, a robot, or even there's some theories about lizard aliens, which always seems to come into it with <laughs> these things. Now, another video emerged a few days later of a British man aboard a Ryanair flight. Now, this video was filmed a few days before the incident with the woman in Dallas, but only kind of hit the internet after the Dallas one. So this man was returning from a festival in Croatia and like the woman in Dallas, became hysterical because of the person sitting next to them on the plane, again insisting that they weren't real. The man rushes towards the door of the aircraft, insisting he needs to get off. He's restrained by passengers and removed from the plane. So this happened, I believe, before it had taken off, obviously, Mm because they took him off the plane, or they may have turned round. The third video that later came out in the same month came from a Chinese airline and it came through Chinese social media outlets and finally made its way onto TikTok. So the man in this clip becomes extremely agitated and he claimed he was caught in a time loop. And this was his sixth cycle reliving the moment. Oh, like a Groundhog Day kind of thing. Yeah, he claimed the flight was going to crash and that he kept coming back through the time loop trying to prevent the plane crashing. That's terrifying if he was believing that. Yeah, yeah. He also, I mean, there's various things about how we were kind of enslaved by uh, evil, I I think, uh, robot forces he talks about. He also claimed that the cabin crew were not human, and so there's various things. I mean, he's incredibly distressed uh, and was removed from the plane. Yeah, so I, I, I I do wonder whether some of these people in the clips are either suffering from some kind of temporary or long-term mental health struggle, possibly exacerbated by alcohol or drugs. I think certainly the Ryanair one, I mean, the guy was coming back from a music festival. (laughs) There's a chance he may have Mm -hmm, taken something mm -hmm. before getting on the plane. Those, Those issues seem more logical explanations than the paranormal one for me. Um... And I I did some research, and this type of loss of control is especially prevalent on planes. So according to Martin Seif, who's a clinical psychologist, and he works with clients who have this paralysing fear of flying, he says, the term fear of flying is a misnomer. It's fears of flying, because a plane is a perfect storm, a connection of all these different fears. He talks about the lack of control in the environment, the cramped conditions, fear of heights. I mean, basically, he says, you are confined in a tube thousands of feet above the ground, surrounded by strangers. He goes on to say, if you are anxious, you have an increased arousal to threat. At that point, you are basically scanning the world for threats. So anything could be a threat. 
any element of something that seems odd to you. So that kind of makes sense, doesn't it, if you're in an odd environment of a plane? Because it's not, I mean, some people do, but not many people fly constantly, right? No, no. And what you say there, I mean, that rings true. I can't fly. Yeah, you're not a great flyer, are you? No, no, I haven't flown for 10 years. Right, right. But it's, yeah, so, so it's all these elements, and then you have this heightened, I guess, fight or flight response. Uh, if you excuse the pun, flight, but you know what I mean. Mm, mm. Um, but, you know, there's nowhere to go, is there? <laughs> so it, it, it kind of explains why people do have these aggressive outbursts on planes. Yeah, I hadn't really thought about it like that, but, yeah, it's sort of like a, um, a version of a panic attack. Kind of, yeah, yeah, and that, and then you kind of lose control. And it, it, if you've ever seen some of those videos, I mean, I was thinking there was before this wave, there was a whole wave, wasn't there, around COVID? Um, you know, there were tons of videos of people freaking out, connected with mask wearing or lack of mask wearing. Yeah, and people do get aggressive really quickly, and I think that is tied into the fight or flight response because there's nowhere to fly, you're just basically in fight mode. Yeah, yeah. Now, I guess what's interesting me more about these this wave of not real people on planes are not the incidents themselves, it's the public or, I guess, mainly internet reaction to the videos. Theories have been flying around about alien lizard people that live among us. Something a bit like, do you remember that late 80s sci-fi movie, They Live? Have you ever seen that movie? No, but... I, bizarrely, someone was telling me about that about a week ago. Oh, really? That is yeah, weird. Yeah, over, like over dinner, yes, yeah, someone was talking about it because I brought up V and um, they were saying, oh, it was pretty similar to V because of this, that and the other. It's it's an odd film. It's got some um, wrestler in it. Is it Roddy Piper or someone like that, I think, in his first film? But the concept is there are these alien creatures who've taken us over and, and weirdly, and it, it sounds really crap, but it actually works, they create these special sunglasses where you can actually see the real faces of the aliens if you're wearing them. So there's only a small proportion of the population who who kind of rebelling and have got these glasses who can see the truth. There's lots about consumerism in the film as well. It's really interesting. Um, but basically online with these three videos, there's been all this stuff that gets tied in with deep state conspiracies about controlling the population, um, rumours spreading that the people in these videos were freaked out about some kind of alien or deep state robots disguised as human beings, because that seems a feature of all three of these that have come out. These people are not real, and there's a kind of thought that there's some kind of robotic influence to them. That's that's really interesting. So, and um, this is because... So I guess, are, are you sort of thinking, well, because this idea of like the Terminator is coming to get us, yeah. this, is, this is expressing itself in these fears. Yeah, well, that's what I started to wonder, whether there was a connection between the paranormal events on the planes or paranoid events, I should say, on the planes and the other existing paranoia, which is about artificial intelligence at the moment because there's yeah. so much about it, right? They may not be directly connected but i think it's interesting this feature of people on the plane who are not real and this at least in some of them that they're they're somehow robotic i think is really interesting mm, mm, yeah yeah 
And there have been some bleak and scary warnings from some of the founders and leaders in the AI community and development, basically saying that if we're not careful through our use of artificial intelligence, we could become victims of our own creations, right? Very much so, very much so. And I could see how that could happen. Yeah, definitely. In fact, according to the BBC, dozens of the leading players in artificial intelligence, including the heads of OpenAI and Google DeepMind, have supported a statement published by the Centre for AI Safety that states, I quote, mitigating the risks of extinction from AI should be a global priority alongside other social scale risks such as pandemics and nuclear war. Extinction by AI, God. Yeah, I mean, that's pretty strong language, right? It's not not surprising there's a bit of paranoia out. These are the experts in the field, right? Yeah, yeah. uh, I mean... Chat GPT, uh, I mean, I, I know this is the naive, like, that's not what it's about, Ben, but every time I've tried to use it, yeah, <laughs> I told you I was trying to use it to help me with another piece of work and I asked it if it could help me locate a quote by a particular author I was researching and it gave me a quote and it didn't sound right. Oh, it made it up. And it, <laughs> yes, I said, is that really a quote from that author? I said, no, I made it up. <laughs> I, great, okay then, fine. Didn't it almost kind of belittle you for, for talking about the paranormal as well? Oh, it did. Yes, it said. Yeah, yes, because I was. Uh, that was right. I was researching that guy um, who genies, wasn't it? It was genies. Yes, and it said, "Oh, yes, he wrote extensively about his encounters with genies in the Far East." N- no, he didn't. He didn't. <laughs> he did. And then it. And then it sort of. I said, "Can you tell me any more true genie stories?" where I might be able to find them. And he said, genies aren't real. And uh, you should take everything with the paranormal with... Uh, it didn't use the word pinch of soul, but, but it did it, it didn't really like me researching the paranormal. Oh, and then my favourite thing about it was, um, I said, look, this, this research is no good. And he said, oh, well, let me go away and research it and I'll come back. And I said, how long will that take? It said about five hours. <laughs> and I said, okay, fine, what will you do? It, and it said... Um, I'll email you. Can I have your email address? So I gave it my email address and it said, I'm afraid I can't email you. And I said, why not? It said, I have a chat system that isn't connected to um, email. And I said, right, so you are going to research this essay for me. No, I'm not. I can't do that. So he just basically lies in alternate sentences. There is something quite sad about that, Ben, that basically an AI chatbot just wanted to get rid of you. (laughs) Was going to tell you anything, right? (laughs) I hadn't thought about it like that. I reckon if you'd have kept going, it would go, oh, yeah, genies are real. Just just say they're real. They are. Go away. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I'll research it. Just come back. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, as I said, there are some credible voices in the artificial intelligence world warning of the dangers, so I guess we can't discount them. But are they just being paranoid, I wondered? And certainly like a stressed-out person on a plane, we can all get carried away with stories that make, as you said, the Terminator movie look like a documentary, right? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And I was thinking about this, Ben, and... I think I've been a victim of this paranoia to a certain degree. So I've mentioned a couple of times on the podcast before the story of an experiment where two AIs were told to communicate with each other and then they quickly developed their own language. So their human observers couldn't understand what they were saying 
And I, th- I think I've said before, the scientists became so unnerved by this that they pulled the plug on the two mm. AI machines. Yeah, we've heard that story, and I've mentioned it a couple of times. And that does sound terrifying, right? Yeah, it does. Well, I decided I'd dig a bit deeper into that story. And maybe it's not as terrifying as the internet has led us to believe. So this story first surfaced in 2017. It involved an experiment by Facebook where they set two artificial intelligence programs the task of chatting to each other. Yes, they did quickly adapt the English language to their own type of language, and the scientists did struggle to follow what they were saying to each other. And yes, the scientists ended up pulling the plug. But it wasn't quite as disturbing as, I guess, the HAL 9000 in the movie 2001. You know, this, these things weren't going crazy, singing Daisy Daisy and trying to kill their human masters. Mm. So let's go deeper into the story. Let's start with the experiment itself. So Facebook challenged its chatbots to try and negotiate with each other over a trade, attempting to swap hats, balls and books, each of which were given a certain value. The experiment quickly broke down as the robots appeared to chat to each other in a language that only they understood, but which appeared mostly incomprehensible to humans. The robots had been instructed to work out how to negotiate between themselves and improve their bartering as they went along. So that was the programming that went in. But they were not told to use comprehensible English, so that allowed them to create their own shorthand according to researchers. Now, the actual negotiations appear very odd. And to me, you know, for reading it, they don't look particularly useful. So I'm just going to read out a short section of these two AIs negotiating with each other. <laughs> one's called Bob and one's called Alice. It, well, is that what they call them? The scientists call them? Yeah, yeah. Oh, nice. Bob and Alice. So Bob starts things off for of this section. Bob says, I can, I, I, everything else. Alice responds, Balls have zero to me, 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 to me. Two. One of the Chuckle Brothers, then. <laughs> yeah, to me. Um, Bob then says, you, I, everything else. Alice responds, balls have a ball to me, to me, to me, to me, to me, to me, to me. Bob comes back, I, I, can, I, 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 everything else. Alice says, balls have a ball to me, to me, to me, to me, to me, to me, to me. Bob's response to this is quite short. He just says, I. And then Alice says, balls have zero to me, 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 too. Bob says, you, I, 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 everything else. Alice says, balls have naught to me, 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 too. Bob says, you, I, 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 everything else. Alice says, balls have zero to me, 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 too. That sounds to me like the Alice bot is trying to experiment by saying, actually, these are worthless to me, actually, they're not worthless, seeing whether she can get a better trade. That's that's what I took out of that That's really interesting you say that. We'll come on to that, because I think you're, you're onto something there. 
Are you sure you're human, Ben? <laughs> uh, I'm not. No, no. You know, you know that um, years ago there was that really weird looking back on it show on the telly where the family had a little girl who was a robot. Do you remember that one? Oh, vaguely. And like, she, it was like in the same era as Different Strokes, right? But it was like a dad, and and like he was a professor, and he created this little girl who, to all intents and purposes, was human. But sometimes he had to like rewire her because she didn't understand something. And I always thought, I wonder where my wires, <laughs> where your are. wires are, yeah, because because I, I can see a lot of me in her. Right, that's interesting. Well, in terms of that conversation, the the things that hit me was firstly, it didn't sound that chilling, did it? Not really. <laughs> And secondly, a lot of it seemed like repetitive gobbledygook, unless you're Ben, who seemed to understand it perfectly well. <laughs> <laughs> I just grew up watching Chuckle Vision. I get that. To you, to yeah. me, to me, to, to you. Me. Researchers did find some logic in this bizarre AI conversation. This is interesting. It appeared that the multiple use of the words me and I were not some kind of glitch, but part of the negotiation. In fact, the two AIs did complete a successful negotiation after this conversation. Facebook asked researcher Durav Batra to look at the exchanges and he gleamed some patterns in the conversation. He determined the AIs had created some kind of shorthand so they could negotiate with themselves more effectively. He said, like if I said the five times, you might interpret that to mean I want five copies of this item. This isn't so different from the way communities of humans create shorthand. So I took that as the use of the words multiply, the multiple use of the words I and me, were kind of giving a value to an item, in this case the ball that they were negotiating yeah. for. Yeah, that makes sense. Now, a linguist, a linguist called Mark Liberman took things even further wondering whether the AI chat could be a precursor to a new form of human speech. So he points out that languages all have their roots in the spoken word or gestures, rather than being text-based. So I guess he's saying this could be the start of a new text-based language. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I, I, I mean, you, you know more about computer programming than I do. I know very little of it. But I also wondered this use of the word me too, me too, to me, me. It almost felt like the binary, you know, like zeros and ones in coding to me. Yeah, yeah. And um, that idea of assigning values to it. So I, what I was seeing there was kind of like, it's what I what I heard were things like, you know, ball means nothing. But if you but I want to me to me to me to me, I want five things in return. That's the sort of thing that I was picking up from it. Yes, yes, yeah, definitely. I'll come on to that in a minute because that, that you you're onto something there. So to me, it's to me to me to me. It seems rather than the fear of the two AIs plotting to destroy the human race it is more likely that the experiment was shut down because of this text-based language that they developed. A Facebook researcher called Mike Lewis points out that the company chose to shut down the programme because, I quote, our interests were having bots who could talk to people. So, Ben, these AIs were not doing what the experiment needed. You know, they were communicating with each other successfully, but 
you know, unless you're Ben, that conversation wasn't much use to a human being. Mm, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and you're right about what you were saying uh, a, a short time ago. So an interesting side note is the chatbots also learn to negotiate in ways that seem very human. They would, for instance, pretend to be very interested in one specific item so that they could later pretend that they were making a big sacrifice in giving it up. Ah, uh, uh-huh, right. Which is like kind of a, what you were saying, right? Yes, yeah. I mean, that is, that's the old used car salesman's trick. Yeah, 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 exactly. Oh, your car, I don't know, they're, they're not, there's no demand for black cars anymore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Vintage Ferraris, the market's <laughs> not there anymore. I'd love to take off your hands, look, I'll do you a favour. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Undoubtedly, there is a lot of paranoia and exaggeration when it comes to the threats posed by AI, but you still can't get away from the fact that leading people in the field have grave concerns, right? Yeah. And I, in terms of what to do with this episode, I got a bit stuck at this point because um, I was like... What do I do? What do I do? And then it struck me, why don't I talk to an artificial intelligence chatbot to see what it thinks? So that's what I did. I interviewed a <laughs> chatbot this week. Didn't pose as uh, Paul Chuckle, did you? <laughs> I did. To me, to me, <laughs> exactly. to me. <laughs> I didn't take up much of its time, Ben, as I knew they were busy writing essays for students. But here is the short interview that I did with the chatbot. I started by saying, everybody is worried about artificial intelligence. Why? Worries and concerns surrounding artificial intelligence are multifaceted and stem from various aspects. So Ben, the AI then provided me with a list of concerns. These included job displacement. As AI technology becomes more advanced, there is a fear that it could replace human workers. Ethics and bias. AI systems are only as good as the data that they are trained on. Privacy and surveillance. Widespread adaption of AI technologies, especially in surveillance systems and data analytics, raise concerns about individual privacy and potential abuse of personal information. Security risks. As AI technology evolves, so does the potential for malicious use. Lack of understanding. AI, AI algorithms are often complex and pe- can be difficult to interpret or explain. Existential risks. Some experts and thinkers worry about the potential long-term risks associated with AI, such as the emergence of superintelligent AI that could surpass human intelligence and cause unforeseen consequences for humanity. Terminator. Yeah. Control and autonomy. As AI systems become more autonomous, there are concerns about losing control over these systems, leading to potential unintended outcomes and being difficult to manage. Economic impact. While AI has the potential to drive economic growth and productivity, there are concerns that it could concentrate wealth and power in the hands of a few, exacerbating existing economic inequalities. Depersonalization. In some domains, AI interactions may replace human interactions, potentially leading to a sense of depersonalization or isolation. Uh, And the last one it talks about is unemployment and skill gaps. The integration of AI and automation in the workforce may lead to job losses in certain sectors, creating the need for reskilling and upskilling the workforce to adapt to the changing job landscape. 
So no mention of genocidal psychopaths travelling back in time? No, that, they didn't go into that. It didn't right, give me that. Right, sure. And it then told me that it is important to note that while there are legitimate concerns surrounding AI, there are numerous positive applications of AI that can bring significant benefits to society. Responsible development, transparency and ethical considerations are crucial to maximise the advantage of AI while mitigating potential risks. So that leads to my next question, Ben. I asked the, uh, the AI, what are the benefits of AI? Artificial intelligence offers a wide range of benefits and has the potential to positively impact various aspects of our lives. Again, Ben, the AI provided me with a list. Some of the key benefits of AI include automation and efficiency, we can automate repetitive and mundane tasks, freeing up human resources to focus on more complex and creative activities. Data analysis and insight. AI algorithms can analyse vast amounts of data quickly and accurately, leading to valuable insight and patterns that humans may miss. Personalisation, so you know, recommendations, um, content suggestions, personalised healthcare treatments improved customer satisfaction and outcomes and i think the healthcare one is a really interesting one because it then goes on to say healthcare advancements ai is revolutionizing healthcare by enabling better diagnosis and treatment planning through medical imaging analysis drug discovery and personalized medicine i mean there was an example of this this week i think there was a story about the success rate of ai programs in identifying cancers i think from x-rays Oh, okay. Much, much, much more successful than a human being doing it. Mm -hmm. Improved safety. AI is used in various safety-critical applications, like auto vehicles, where it can help reduce accidents and improve road safety. Uh, natural language processing, so uh, helping to improve communication. Predictive maintenance. AI can predict equipment failures and maintenance needed in industries such as manufacturing and aviation, leading to cost savings, increased reliability and minimised downtime. Similar with uh, environmental applications, managing deforestation, tracking endangered species, predicting disasters. In education, content learning paths to individual students, making education more effective and accessible. Uh, humanitarian aid and disaster relief, financial services, powered algorithms are used in fraud detection, risk assessment. Uh, I think there is a big use of AI now in agriculture and food, because it does mention this as well, ag agriculture and food production. AI can optimise farming practices, monitor crops, analyse soil data to improve yields and sustainable agricultural practices. Hmm. So the AI then went on to tell me these benefits demonstrate the vast potential of AI to positively impact society, economy and various industries. However, it is essential to navigate the development of AI responsibly and ethically to ensure these benefits are distributed equally and that potential risks are appropriately addressed. Uh, I mean, I saw, yes, all of those things make sense. Um, it, I can't help feeling it's got to have a biased view, though. Yeah, well, see, I thought at this stage, Ben, I'd got it warmed up a bit. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's opened up. It's had a whiskey. I've got it comfortable, and then I hit it with the big question. I asked the AI, will artificial intelligence destroy the human race? 
That's a, well, it's direct. It was direct. And uh, yeah, here's what it said. As of my last knowledge update, there is no credible evidence or indication that artificial intelligence will destroy the human race. The idea is often portrayed in science fiction movies, but in reality, the probability of such a catastrophic scenario is considered very low. I then said... Thank you for the interview and answering some of my questions on artificial intelligence. Please remember me and that I was polite if you do decide to take over the world. (laughs) And I got this response. You're welcome. I appreciate your politeness. And as an iLanguage model, I don't have personal ambitions or intentions. My purpose is to assist and provide helpful information to users like you. I'm just a tool created to answer questions and engage in conversation. My actions are determined by the way I was designed and the data on which I was trained. It's important to remember that I technologies, including myself, are created and controlled by humans. Responsible development and use of I prioritize ethical considerations, transparency, and adhering to guidelines that prevent harmful or malicious uses. The future of I is in the hands of people, and it's up to us to ensure that I is harnessed for the benefit of society while mitigating potential risks. I don't know. I don't know what you think. I, I It was kind of, I guess you can look at it two ways. It was just doing what it was programmed to do, or it was being a bit evasive, I thought, at times. It does sound a bit evasive. It's a little bit like asking somebody that invents sort of cruise missiles, and they're like, oh, well, you know, it can do loads of good. I mean, you know, we can reduce the, the number of negative consequences in society do you mean killing bad guys? <laughs> yeah. Yes, I sort of do, in a way, in a way, if you have to put it that way. Um, I mean, obviously, I know that's not what it was really saying, and those uses are good. I think the problem is um, when you go and strap it onto a hunter-killer robot and let it go, There's yeah, yeah. that's the real issue for me. Yeah, no, I agree. And also, when the next generation of kids, rather than hanging out on TikTok assume that they don't need to go to school for example and learn stuff because they'll just ask the ai in their pocket yeah that is a big danger well there was also i heard a thing about you know this incredible use of things like ChatGPT to write essays for um, courses and dissertations um but they're also there is also a theory that, well, why isn't this being spotted? And somebody, I don't know if they were joking, said, well, that's because most of them are being marked by AIs as well. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which makes sense, right? Yeah. I mean, the um, this, this idea of like AI sort of collecting information and putting it together in a way that humans can receive... I mean, that was AI talking to AI. I mean, a great a great example is there is a restaurant review system, which is obviously done by AI, and it has a site, it has a forward slash for every food establishment. And I pointed out to somebody who was complaining that one of their favourite takeaways had got a really ropey review. It reviewed the bakery in my local town, saying that... Um, uh, people had complained that the absinthe wasn't very good. I mean, I don't know where <laughs> it got any of that stuff from, but it's like, the, it, it, at the moment, it speaks nonsense a lot of the time. Have you, uh, uh, did you not know about the room at the back of the bakery? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, th- I find the absinthe very good there. It literally said, people enjoy the great almond croissant, but they don't enjoy the absinthe. I'm like, okay. Maybe it had a sense of humour. <laughs> oh, maybe. 
Well, as you heard in my interview with an AI, it believes the likelihood of the human race being destroyed by evil artificial intelligence, like you see in a sci-fi movie, is, to quote its words, likely very low. So we heard it straight from the horse's mouth, so to speak, Ben, but that weirdly got me thinking about horses. Uh, It's not too weird. I mean, I think about horses once a week, probably. Basically, if the human species is going to be adversely affected by AI, then maybe we need to see if there is any learning from history. Maybe the chances that AI won't be as apocalyptic as in the movies might be high, but still, they might have devastating consequences. And that led me to a blog written by Microsoft, which I have edited down. It says... As the second industrial revolution churned to life in the latter 19th century, the new economy required the mass movement of people and goods. While inventors tinkered with engines of the future, the present relied on horses to do the heavy lifting of daily work, pulling trolleys, carriages, delivering carts, brewing wagons, city vehicles and omnibuses. The number of city horses swelled, as did the peripheral industries that supported them. Teamsters, I get. I always get, it's union workforce, basically, Teamsters, isn't it? Right, yeah, yeah. Streetcar operators, carriage manufacturers, groomers, coachmen, feed merchants, saddlers, stable keepers, wheelwrights, farriers, blacksmiths, buggy whip makers, veterinarians, horse breeders, street cleaners and the farmers who grew the grain and hay. Basically, there was a lot of people working around horses. It's difficult to overestimate the degree to which the American economy and broader society revolved around horses. As one historian has commented, every family in the United States in 1870 was directly or indirectly dependent on the horse. Yeah, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. In rural areas, farmers prospered in no small measure to the growing hay to feed the nation's horses. One horse for every five people. And each, (laughs) it says here, each horse ate a lot of hay. Yeah, yeah. In urban areas, the the reliance was even more striking. The dependence hit home in the fall of 1872 when a serious strain of horse flu spread throughout the northeast US and for some weeks horses could not be used. City life ground to a halt as streetcars stopped running, urban goods stopped moving and the construction sites stopped operating. Consumers were suddenly confronted with shortages when buying groceries. I didn't know about this. This is fascinating, isn't it? It says here, perhaps even more disturbing for some, saloons ran out of beer. (gasps) What? Um, The importance of the horse, in fact, continued to grow. Across the US, Teamsters... Numbers rose from just over 120,000 in 1870 to 368,000 by 1890. So that's within 20 years. Number of street railway employees rose similarly over the same period, from around 5,100 to more than 37,000. Then from 1890 to 1900, leading cities saw the number of teamsters skyrocket, jumping 311% in New York, 350% in Philadelphia and 675% in Chicago. 
1890, more than 90,000 people were employed by wagon, the wagon carriage industry, producing more than 1 million vehicles, totaling $32 million contribution to the burgeoning economy. Wowzers. So that's just the wagon and carriage industry. Right, yeah. It's incredible, isn't it? It is. But beyond New York and other big American cities, inventors were forging a new world, one which did not rely on horsepower. By 1908, entrepreneurs were producing cars in earnest and their work couldn't have come at a more fortuitous time. By the start of the 20th century, Americans had grown weary of the disorder of society and called for better sanitation, order, safety and above all efficiency. The hard-working horse seemed antiquated and a wasteful, dangerous means of urban transport. This is amazing. In 1908, New York's 120,000 horses produced the pungent 60,000 gallons of urine and 2.5 million pounds of manure every day on the city streets. Yes, I think there was a panic in London that, that um, I think somebody, a politician said London is in danger of um, sinking under horse manure, basically. Right, right, yeah. That sounds like New York was exactly the same. As Americans' obsession with automobiles grew, their fondness for horses as a means of transportation declined, and the arrival of the car and electrified railways provided the horses' death knell. People rapidly adopted mechanised transportation. In 1900, 6,000 horses hauled New York trolleys, more than all US cities combined, but just 17 years later, the horse-pulled trolley took its last trip and the electric tram took over. So gone within okay. a space of 17 years. This is sort of a familiar story, really. Yeah. By 1902, 90% of America's street tracks were running on electricity. Motorised buses also stole routes from the horses. And in July 1907, the final horse-drawn coaches were replaced by the country's first urban motor bus line. By the late 1910s, cities became inhospitable to the poor horse. Slippery asphalt was replaced replaced dirty roads, neighbourhoods began banning stables and growers were opting for more imported fertiliser instead of manure. As the horses vanished, so did the numerous jobs that relied on the horse economy. In 1890, there were 13,800 companies in the United States in the business of building carriage pulled by horses. But by 1920 there were only 90 such companies remaining. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. As the horse industry collapsed, other industries came to life. So in 1903, the year Henry Ford founded the Ford Motor Company, 11,235 automobiles were sold to America. Just a decade later, Ford flipped the switch on his first assembly line in 1913, cutting time to build a car from 12 hours to two and a half hours. That year, the number of cars produced in the United States mushroomed to 3.6 million, a 300-fold increase since Ford founded his company. By 1923, the country was producing 20 million automobiles a year. And, of course, this fueled all the kind of relative industries that go along with it, right? Right, right. But, But life carried on. Well, this is kind of the point of the article, but I'm going to get back to that. 
By 1917, New York was the epicentre for the country's automobile sales rather than urban horses. Shops that sold wagons, carriages, harnesses and saddlers on Broadway were replaced by supply stores selling tyres, ignitions, speedometers, batteries and carburettors. There are interesting insights to be gleaned from the shift from horses to automobile. As with automation and artificial intelligence in our day, it was a shift driven by new technology. But it wasn't driven by technology alone, and its ultimate impact in many ways was by no means predictable at the time. As one author has noted, what appears today as obvious, the transition from horses to cars, was in many respects a far less inevitable thing. As she points out, the replacement of animal power took a particular form that resulted in cultural choices made by energy consumption at the turn of the century. In short, cultural values and the political movement contributed more to the rapid adoption of cars. In a similar vein, it would be a mistake to assume that technology trends such as automation and the use of artificial intelligence will be driven by technology and economics alone. Perhaps even more significant, technology transitions tend to have an indirect but nonetheless sweeping implication that are difficult to predict at the outset. In many ways, this is because of the broader economic dynamics involved. Take the example the impact of the automobile's adoption on American agriculture. The resulting decline in horse population cut demand for horse feed and contributed to an agricultural depression in the 1920s, which worsened even further during the Great Depression. A weak agricultural sector was dragged on the entire US economy in 1930. In 1933, at the height of the Depression, the Bureau of Census concluded that the transition from horses to cars was one of the main contributing factors of the present economic situation and had affected the entire country. So basically, from there on in, Ben, this this Microsoft article goes, you know, OK, we don't know what's going to happen, but we adapted from the change from horses to automobiles. And yes, there was some short-term pain, but in the end, you know, there was a benefit, right? We haven't got all these horses... <laughs> you know no. dro- dropping their stuff every everywhere and things changed so it, it the microsoft article does kind of close with a positive tone yeah a more optimistic tone of the potential of ai comparing it to the human transition from horses to engine power and it's really interesting as well that of course um looking at things from the opposite lens turns out that cars were probably even more dangerous than horses but people didn't know that at the time but now we're adapting we're looking at new ways of powering them we're looking at new ways of producing them and that is something that's come about by our learning to live with that technology and exploit it yeah yeah. and i can see that also is an allegory for what could happen with ai because you don't know what the dangers are until you get into it and i can imagine there's at some point you could see, you know, perhaps it does become too dangerous to have them on your phone because it destroys society. So a law is passed saying you can't have mobile AI devices. I'm not saying that will happen. I'm just saying, you know, you could imagine that happening or you could imagine having AI-free zones. Um, you You might see a start in, like, you know, if restaurants suddenly become automated with ai maybe you start having human restaurants and they become a fashionable thing there's all sorts of things that could come out of this yeah 
what I took from the article was actually something different to what it was trying to portray in a way. So for me, the premise of the article is looking in the wrong direction. It's looking in a, from a human standpoint. Basically, the change from horses to engines caused some initial pain for humans, but it kind of evened out, right? But my more pessimistic point of view, I thought about the horses. <laughs> oh, yeah, I did think about that too. And if you think in this analogy, when it comes to AI, we could be the horses. <laughs> oh, oh, I hadn't thought of that. Yeah. Oh, yes. Oh, oh, <laughs> yeah, and that, maybe. And that changing technology to cars and the combustion engine didn't work out too well for the horses. I've got this really uh. sobering fact. In 1915... There were 21.5 million horses in the US. And I checked, 100 years later, in 2017, that number is down to 7.2 million. Mm. That's a 66.5% decrease. Right, right. And in fact, it's been going up a bit because of the kind of um, the use of horses for recreation. But there was a period earlier where it, it... you know, twenty-one from twenty-one point five million horses to a couple of million at some point. Yeah, yeah, that is. I mean, in that are example, we the horses? <laughs> well, in that example, it's like the use. It's um, I guess the thing that is persistent there is we're talking about transport, whereas maybe what you're saying is the the the, the similarity is between um. Who is the dominant intelligence? So so far we're the dominant intelligence. So we're the we're the horses in that example because we are the only dominant intelligence. And then the AI comes in and becomes the dominant intelligence over us. That's what you're saying. It's not like well, I think it's even simpler than that. You know, because of the way um, the majority of the world works. If you know, if you. So what don't we need anymore, potentially, in an AI world? We don't need lorry drivers. We don't potentially need lawyers, right? It's just a bunch of data (laughs) that could go in. So you've got all these elements within our community that may not have work anymore. Now, the the argument against it is, well, we can all go and, you know, follow creative pursuits. Live on the beach, yeah. All that kind of stuff. But I don't know if you remember, I remember when I was quite young, listening to my parents saying, because there was a big thing about the ti- at the time, going, everybody's going to be working a three-day week. Yeah. And there's going to be loads of leisure time yeah. because of the advances in technology. Yeah, 100% remember this. Yeah. yeah, and now people are working longer than probably our parents did. Yes. And more time, you know what I mean? So it's not like we go, okay, we freed up all this time so we're all going to start painting and making music because the economy doesn't work that way so no i you know that that feeds in to kind of paranoid thoughts of me of like unless we kind of address that how's it going to work yeah yeah i agree i agree that is yeah i don't look at it as a utopian thing i think perhaps I don't know, maybe I'm being naive, but I think it will help people be better at doing what they're doing. Um, And we might get more call centres run by it. But, 
you know, if it makes it easier to um, to make medicine and make electric cars come sooner and all that sort of thing, then yeah, maybe. But it's I think it is still staring into the abyss because we've never encountered anything like this ever. Yeah, yeah. Which is why it's such a big thing. It could be as impactful as the uh, motor engine was on the horse with us being the horses. And maybe, yeah, we just need to be aware of that. Because it, you know, that the, the, the difference between that and the Terminator is very different. Do you know what I mean? Or iRobot, that these things are going to decide that we are inferior, so wipe us out. You know, it's probably going to be more what they can do and ourselves wiping each other out, you know what I mean? Yeah, I think that's probably true. Uh, well, my... I I don't know if you remember, my degree is artificial intelligence. Yes. Yeah, and yeah. I, I was done some time ago, but I think the, the, the book that was actually required reading um, for one of my modules, and you can still buy it today, it's still as relevant today as it was then, is uh, a book called um, Fuzzy Logic by Bart Costco. And that book really, it's a very accessible book, and it points out the real-world problems. And even back then, 30 years ago, we were talking about, with these difficult issues that he puts forward in the book, uh, how the you know the Terminator isn't possible. And I think the issues that he points out in the book are still... A problem. One of the great philosophical things is um, trying as a uh, as a human looking at a piece of wood, like a, a trunk a trunk from a tree, and you watch somebody carve it into a chair. At what point does it stop being a part of a tree and become a chair? Right. And as a human, you can make up your own mind because, you know, you can... Well, if, if it's a log, I could probably just sit on it, but you wouldn't call it a chair. Mm. But at some point, it gets good enough that um, somebody walking past goes, oh, that's a nice chair you're making. They can tell what it is. An artificial intelligence doesn't really have that ability to do that fuzzy thinking, and it doesn't really understand, okay, so that's a chair... So is the bonnet of a car, possibly. So is a shelf. Mm. Um, and it's that it's that frame reference problem that the Terminator never had. They ignored that. The Terminator was able to understand how humans worked. It was so human. It was, it was like superhuman. Whereas actually current AIs are very subhuman because of this reference problem. But um, it, yeah, it, we, still, we still have no idea. Mm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, we've just spent we've just spent a whole episode, and that's our conclusion. We've no idea. We've no <laughs> idea. We've no, no idea. So strangely, the the one that we're most qualified to talk about. Yeah, yeah. It's funny, isn't it? You know, it's amazing. Maybe it's us when we go on these subjects. It's like, oh, we can't go anywhere. But I'm worried that I might be a horse now. <laughs> Yeah, nay. <laughs> I tell you what, though, it does mean that um, some future selves of us will be looking into case studies about ghost AIs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The ghost sky chatbot. Yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> it comes to me at night and tries to convince me to take out F1 channels for just thirteen ninety nine. What you got it for thirteen ninety nine? Jesus, <laughs> he's asked exactly the problem. Well, that's all from me, me, me to you, to you, me, me, me to you, me, me, me. Uh, 
balls are nothing to me. <laughs> I tell you what, if you're in America, all this reference to the Chuckle Brothers, it's just going to go over their heads. Yeah, Please just Google it and watch any video. Yeah, it's a kids' TV program. The catchphrase is to me, to you. Yeah, to me. it's no, it's no more complex than that. <laughs> in fact, don't even bother searching it up. You've got all the information. You've got all the you information need. you need. Yeah. Well, that was it. Lovely. AI, AI sorted or not? Done. Done. As a, who said Gordon Ramsay? Yeah, done. 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 <laughs> he wasn't a chuckle brother. <laughs> <laughs> no, he wasn't. Uh, if you want to find us on the social medias at TQM Podcast. Yes. Uh, and uh, as we mentioned earlier, if you want to check us out on Patreon and join the Patreon program, patreon.com forward slash TQM Pod. And. As the sound of rain beating on your roof. I know, it's quite heavy. <laughs> it was quite You're heavy, probably not it? hearing it again on the podcast. You but, won't hear it on the podcast. But every week it's the same. That was that was at least 19 Kelpies, just yeah. uh, uh, as we were doing that last bit. Yeah, well, I'm definitely in a time loop. Um, we will see you next week for more Quantum Mechanics weirdness. Thank you for listening, and yes, goodbye. See you then, goodbye. Bye. the quantum mechanics.